Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as someone whose favorite sport is that one with the two teams playing against each other. I forgot the name, but you know what I'm talking about. In my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. Today in the red chair is one of my favorite people I worked with at the Washington Post a million years ago, Christine Brennan, the sports columnist for USA Today. She's also a well-known TV and radio commentator and author of several best-selling books about sports and a, really a groundbreaking sports journalist. Uh, again, we were, used to work here at the Washington Post, where she was the first woman to cover the Washington Redskins full time. And that was a time, if you remember, George <laughs> Solomon and everything else. This conversation is part of The Podium, a podcast collaboration between NBC Sports Group and Vox Media. Beginning in January, we'll bring you athlete profiles, daily updates, and exciting stories from the 2018 Winter Olympic Games in South Korea. But for today, we're delighted to have Christine on Recode Decode. Welcome, Christine. Yeah, great to see I you know, again. I, I mean, how, we were trying to figure out how yeah, many years. We Maybe it should have been how many decades. Decades ago. But I see you all the time, and you probably see me. And yes, I do. Aren't we lucky to kind of do exactly what we love exactly. and have that be our, our jobs, even though I put Yeah, them. I will never forget. You were a real, not a mentor, but you were like one of these iconic people because you covered the Redskins. Mm. Um, and no women, when one was doing, which was insane when you think about it. When well, this back. is the 80s. Yeah, mid-80s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let's go back a little bit in your background because, you know, you're one of the most prominent sports journalists and there's a lot of prominent. I mean, Tony was Tony Kornheiser was there. Mm-hmm. There was a whole gang of you there. Uh, Sally Jenkins, sure. a whole Mike, bunch. Mike Wilbon, my Mike college Wilbon. classmate. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your background, how you got to that job and what you've been doing since. So we get a sense of what yeah. you're doing. And then we're going to get into all kinds of topics around the Olympics, around sports, around sexual harassment, Russia. There's uh, doping. Sports, yeah, sports everything. Is the, you know, Title IX, everything. There's so much to talk about. It used to be the escape, and now uh, sports section really is a much more of a mirror of our society. Absolutely, sure. 100%. Yeah. So let me get your background. Go sure. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of sports as an escape, uh, for me growing up in the suburbs of Toledo, Ohio, in the 60s and 70s, you know, this is a time, Kara, you know, the girls were not encouraged to love or play sports. Mm-hmm. And I'm the oldest of four kids, so I didn't have older brothers, but mm-hmm. I, I just... I'm tall. I'm right, you are five and eleven and I'm a half short. or so. Nice to meet you. <laughs> well, we need a we need a point guard for every for every uh, power forward. You know, uh, if we can kind three other people. I don't people, even know what that means. We got, so, oh, come ahead. on, you know what that no, means. No, I'm literally the only lesbian who doesn't like sports. But go ahead. Well, well, that, well, that is amazing. Yes, <laughs> that sounds. Like I'm a you. unicorn. That's it. Right there, you go. Uh, so, so I'm loving sports and playing and wanting to play sports. And the boys want to play sports with me. And mm-hmm. they're shooing every other girl away. Mm-hmm. But for me, they want to. You know, they want me to play. I'm picked first when we do this very. By the mm-hmm. way, this is before there's any organized sports for boys or girls. So just mm-hmm. playing in the yard, playing in a field. You know, we all gather at someone's backyard and just make up a game and, and are playing it. And I'm five, six, seven, whatever years old. And I'm on my, I couldn't wait. My dad, who had played college football for a year at Drake, my mom and dad were from the south side of Chicago, six feet, like 210 pounds. So, you know, a good athlete mm-hmm. in his day. Well, I couldn't wait till he got home from work. He he started his own business, and uh, and so you know, kind of had his own schedule a little bit. And he could come home and play catch with me. Mm-hmm. So it may well be that in the late '60s and early '70s, that uh, one of the very few girls who's playing catch 
Okay. With her dad in mm-hmm. the United States, mm-hmm. maybe in the world, turns out to be me. Right. Um, because most dads were saying to their daughters, no, 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 go play with dolls. And I had dolls and I played with girls and had plenty of you know fun with that too. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to play sports. So my dad taught me how to throw the ball properly. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm cocking my arm right <laughs> behind my and, and fling it properly. Yeah. So the term, ne- you know, throw like a girl, right. which by the way, I hate. That's like right. fingers on a chalkboard because throw like a girl. Now we're teaching right. millions of girls to throw the ball properly, which right. means that. That's now a compliment, throw right. like a girl. But back right. in those days, it sure. was not. And yet I and never threw like a girl. It sure is. And let's, by the way, can everyone just agree, stop it. Stop Don't it. do that anymore, among many other things. There's a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of things. Stop. Don't do that anymore. Yeah. But um, so playing sports, and here's my dad. This is before Title IX. Richard Nixon signed Title IX in June of 72. This is before then. Kara, mm-hmm. I had my own personal Title IX. I had my dad. Right. And, um, Which it often is. In tech, it's the same thing. A lot of women sure. who are big in tech, they had a parent, of, usually a father, actually, mm-hmm. interestingly, pushing them hard in math and science. And right. Like that. Because a generation earlier, as mm-hmm. boys, they had had those opportunities where women and girls had not. Right. Same with sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we're seeing, if you go by a field and you see a soccer game with either boys or girls playing, it's, it's very likely one of the yeah. Coaches could be a mom, could right. be one of the moms because she played soccer. Right. But moving, uh, you know, back in those yeah. years, you really had, you know, it was a kind of a, it was a man's world. So, so how so you had interest in sports from the beginning? Totally. So okay. I couldn't wait to play everything, and I was good enough at it. You mm-hmm. know, um, I, I their games were not, of course, there's no ESPN at that time, but you know, we'd have the Detroit Tigers game on TV once a week, and I would literally type up like pregame notes. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. On, on my mom's, you know, um, you know, manual typewriter. Uh-huh. And when my brother is four years younger, got old enough. I have a sister, a year and a half younger, and and another younger sister. They joined me too to kind of type up these notes and right. do the pregame and get ready for this game. And then we'd all gather around and watch this like it's like you know, like the Wizard of Oz on TV or something. Mm-hmm. It was that extraordinary. And then we had season tickets: University of Toledo football, then Michigan, which is only, Ann Arbor's only mm-hmm. forty-five minutes from Toledo. And we saw those great Michigan Ohio State battles: Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler. Just the the golden days of the Big Ten and Michigan, Ohio mm-hmm. State. So here I am, an 11-year-old girl, going to these games that turn out to be the games of the century. I mm-hmm. mean, to this day, people still talk about those games. Right. And so there was that, uh, playing, watching, uh, you know, just cheering my heart out for the Toledo Rockets from 69 to 71. There'd have to be one geek out there listening who would know this. But they never lost a game, 35 mm-hmm. and 0. So I'm throwing my heart and soul into a team, and it rewards me, Kara, with victory after victory. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? Of course yeah. I'm going to be a sports journalist. You right. know, this is so right. cool. Did you do it in high school, or what was it? Uh, I did journalism in high school. Uh, I was the co-editor of the high school paper mm-hmm. in the suburb of Toledo. And, and um, I actually, interestingly... And this is, a, I think, a powerful message about role models mm-hmm. or lack thereof. What I've described, I'm keeping score by the game, by mm-hmm. the way, of games on the radio. Mm-hmm. My dad goes by. He thinks I'm doing my homework one day as I'm sitting in a, on a couch. And I'm keeping score of a, of a, baseball, oh, a, a wow. minor league Toledo Mudhens game off the radio. Wow. A 10-year-old girl. I, I dare say not only are no 10-year-old girls doing that in America. Right. I dare say, like, no boys, no boys are doing that. that. So. so here I am as immersed in sports as probably anyone uh, and certainly any girl. And yet I never thought I would be a sports journalist. Wow. Because I, it turned out, as I think back on this, of course, I it's spent a lot guys. of time. It's all men. And so I never had any female role right. models so to look you, up to. But you, you did in high school. And then in college, you, how did you get to sports journalism? Yeah, that's a great question. So I go to Northwestern, early decision, undergrad, you know, and master's. I, right. I figured best journalism school in the country, go there. I'm very biased. I'm very involved there now. Mm-hmm. I, full disclosure, I'm on the board of trustees, and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I bleed purple. I'm sorry, you can like the school you went yeah, to. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess that's—thank you. Thank you for letting me— <laughs> 
Yes, I really like it. Um, and uh, so uh, anyway, so undergrad masters, and I had internships. And for the first couple internships I had, they were city desks, so writing mm-hmm. obits and probably stuff like you did. You yeah. know, where you kind of cover the county fair and you do all this stuff in Toledo and uh, Lexington, Kentucky. And I kept wandering back to the sports department. And for the Toledo Blade, those guys were my heroes. Right. I mean, it was a, it might as well have been, you know, Pulitzer Prize winners. Right. And so I keep wandering back, chatting with them. I start playing tennis with some of them. And then one of the top editors said, hey, you want to come and work in sports next summer? Wow. I said, I'd love to. At the Toledo Blade. At the which Toledo Blade. a big Blade. deal then. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so that was a great internship. So I got that. And then there was really, I felt like I was home. So there was right. never, never, no looking back well, at Did that you point. run into a lot of issues? You know, there's all those stories of locker room issues and things like that. But as you did it, did you find that to be a problem? Because many women who covered this, mystery broadcasters, um, all kinds of issues around that. Yeah. Did, was it not that case for you? Well, it was. And, it, you know, again, so now I graduate uh, undergrad 80, master's 81. So I come out and I start my career at the Miami Herald mm-hmm. in uh, out of college in uh, April of 81. And... Absolutely. It was still catch as catch can, very piecemeal about what teams, pro teams, would allow a woman in the locker room, what teams would not. Mm-hmm. And moving back even to the summer of 80 when I was an intern in between my, my uh, undergrad and master's year. And I'm at the Miami Herald and I, they want me to do a feature on the, uh, a story on the Minnesota Vikings who are playing the Dolphins in a preseason game mm-hmm. at the old Orange Bowl. And so if you're going to report on the team, you have to interview the players. I mean, right. that makes sense. Yeah. And the Vikings had never had a woman in their locker room before, and I had never been in a men's locker room. So the Miami Herald sports editor, Paul Anger, pulls me aside and says, hey, we're going to send you in there. We're talking to the Vikings. We're making sure this is okay. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just paving the way for obviously sure. my future and being able to handle this at age 22. Mm-hmm. And so I give a lot of credit to the Herald and all the leadership there. So they do all that. I call back to Toledo uh, from Miami and get mom and dad on the phone. I, you know, Dad, do you have any advice for me? And he said, honey, keep eye contact at all times. <laughs> And 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 so that's my story. I'm sticking yeah, with it. You yeah. know, what do I see? The whites of their eyes. Uh, humor was important then. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we are in a very very different time now. Uh, I heard the minute I walked in that Vikings locker room, there were some naked men. There were guys fully in uniform. There were guys who were already starting to change their clothes or already in their street clothes. I heard some cat call whoops and hollers. You know, I heard, I remember way in the distance, way in the back, there was somebody yelling out, we don't come in the women's bathroom. What are you you doing here? But nothing was going to stop me. This is the career of my dreams. Are you kidding me? A couple of guys I'll never see again are going to... Are going to deter me, like you. Like you, you've certainly run into some of this nonsense. They're not naked, thank God. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, you carry an eight by eleven notebook, and you know what? When you (laughs) look down, you look down right at that notebook. And being five eleven and a half, it worked worked. perfectly. Um, But uh, but you did have to have a bit of a sense of humor then. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had a choice. I either am going to be lying to a few lockers, which I did. One player came over and said, hey, I, you know, he could see clearly, you know, I'm a woman in a man's world. He he pointed out a guy or two to me because by that point there's no numbers. Their mm-hmm. numbers are off. You yeah, don't, so you don't Yeah, you don't even know. Minnesota Vikings, I knew a few of them, but I didn't know the whole team. And it's preseason, so they got like 120 guys on the roster. Anyway, and it worked out fine. Um, I, I got the interviews. I got out of there. You know this so well. I'm on deadline. So I'm not going to sit back and go, okay, I'm going to analyze that. No, heck no. I got to write. Mm-hmm. So I'm an intern for the Herald, got to write for the Miami Herald deadline, get that in the newspaper. Then I sat back. And I remember thinking, all right, I, 
that wasn't so bad. Not right. at all. Right. And uh, again, great guys in our lives. A couple fabulous uh, full-time sports writers at the Herald just said, hey, so you're good? I said, I'm really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no problem. Right. But I give full credit to the Herald for, for, for uh, easing my path and for understanding the magnitude of it and, frankly, the Vikings for handling it quite mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so you yeah. did that. So you then moved to the Washington Post. And, right. and did you immediately cover the Redskins? Mm-hmm. Well, I got to the Post in September of 84, and by January of 85, I was put on the beat. Put on the so beat. So I'd covered the NFL at large because I'd done a lot of coverage of the Miami Dolphins and college football in Miami, so I right. was prepared for this. But it was very funny because coming up here— uh, you know, all of a sudden they're putting a beat, a woman on the beat, and it was uh, a big deal at the time. It was I remember a really, it. All like, the TV stations were were writing, were doing uh, features on me, and I did every one. I was kind of surprised because I'd already had three and a half years in Miami. I'd already covered Super Bowls, mm-hmm. but because I'm coming up to the big leagues, to the Washington Post, you know, this right. is like wow. And this that is was it. the sports department. That was one of them. Absolutely, and with Shirley Poet should run it. Right, right. Yeah. You said George Solomon. Yeah. You got Tom Boswell, Ken Denlinger, Kornheiser, Wilbon. You know, Sally Jenkins. Uh, so many of us. That were uh, our dear friends to this mm-hmm. day, and uh, so yes, I think that was. So I remember all the TV stations doing stuff, and and Joe Gibbs, who was a was the coach at the time, coach at the time, uh-huh. one of the great coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in anyone who does follow the NFL, he may well be the best coach ever because he mm-hmm. won three Super Bowls, three different quarterbacks, not a one of whom is ever going to make the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a uh, very religious guy. Uh, would read his Bible every day. And he sent a letter to the, uh, the then commissioner of the National Football League, Pete Rosell, because Rosell had said, hey, you got to open up these – we can't have this. We can't have the Boston Globe reporter, Leslie Visser, and the New York Times people because mm-hmm. more and more women are getting the business. You can't have some you know, reporters for these major newspapers standing outside while the other ones go in. It's got to be equal. That was 1985. And the NFL, by the way, was the last of the four major leagues, men's leagues, to uh, mandate equal access for ma- male as well as female reporters. Mm-hmm. So the NFL is late to the party. Joe Gibbs doesn't like this. So he writes a letter back saying, I don't believe a woman should be in my locker room. You know, the guys that are in there, they have wives, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So I heard about this. I was up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, covering the the training camp. And friends of mine are are calling and leaving voicemails, whatever we did back then, to reach each other in 1985. Pigeons. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Uh, Sending up smoke signals. And they, and, and in telling me, oh, this, you know, Joe Gibbs has just said this horrible thing. Well, the kicker on the Joe Gibbs reply was that he was told by by Pete Rosell, the commissioner of the NFL, uh-uh, it's equal access. Those are the rules. And Gibbs then said, so those are the rules. I don't like it personally, but we will follow the rules. Right, which he did. What more could anyone ask for? Right. And Gibbs was always a class act. Always, He would stay on the record always for those who know the journalism world. You know, he would pull me aside. He'd be angry about it. We'd talk it out, and we'd move right on. Never held a grudge. One of the great people I've ever dealt with. Mm-hmm. And uh, for three years covering that team, I never had a problem because from top down, Jack Kent Cook and Joe mm-hmm. Gibbs, they made it's sure the I didn't have a problem. Plus, yeah. let's not be naive, the Washington Post. Yeah. The Washington Post had sent a, a you know a herd of goats to come in and cover the team. They would have get, gotten credentials. Right, right. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm being a little facetious, but right. but the fact that the Post was sending a woman, my God, if there was an institution bigger right. than the Skins, it right. was the Washington Post. Right. And then you moved on to writing books and uh, all kinds of different things. You covered a range of sports, not just football. And I want right. to get into the CTE stuff later, but mm-hmm. um, you covered ra- lots of sports. Is it just because is that the sports journalists usually do specialize, correct? Is that? Yeah, well, yes. And I think football certainly was one of my main early things. And then the Olympics always for me growing yeah. up was just the coolest, most magical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the 68 
games, really, but 72. Munich, tragic, 11 Israeli athletes and coaches killed by terrorists. Uh, and But then you also had Mark Spitz and all kinds of things. So it just seemed like this magical, faraway place where I could combine my love of sports, love of writing, and also travel, travel. and this yeah. idea that, uh, you know, when, for example, that, again, the horrors of Munich, but there's Jim McKay, and he's on my TV, and I can see him live from Munich, and it was horrible. Uh, but it was also riveting to me. It was almost like Jim McKay was speaking to me. Right. And I had a chance, by the way, to tell him that. Right. Uh, and I met him in 96 at an, uh, an uh, international event. And, you know, that inspired me, uh, including the tragedy and, uh, and how And to, so you started covering Olympics when? When did you? 84 in L.A. I was still at the Miami Herald. Okay. Came up to the Post, three years covering the NFL, and uh, doing all that. And then um, I went off. In fact, I, it was fun. I, I covered the the Super Bowl in which Washington beat Denver. Mm-hmm. So I was the beat writer last game I covered. They won the Super Bowl. And I came home a week later. I'm headed to Calgary to cover the 88. For the Olympics. Washington Post. For the Washington Post. And that was the first Olympics or you had covered it? For I'd the co- the uh, LA Olympics for the Miami what Heralds. What was the first Olympics you covered? Like, what was that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it was interesting. It was it was LA. And of course, that was a boycotted Olympics. So yeah. you had the Russians, you know, with the Soviets at the time not showing up and a lot of their uh, of their uh, allies, of course, not showing up. Uh, but it was beautiful. It was fantastic. And for me, just to be at an Olympics, the opening ceremonies, I remember calling my parents and I'm here because they knew how much I just, I, I would, and again, this sounds funny to anyone younger than, you know, 40 or something, but 76 Olympics. I was working as a bank teller that summer in Toledo, and I would race home for the to watch the coverage from 8 to 11, mm-hmm. right? That's right. And, and Now it's all-encompassing. Well, you want to talk about that later. Right, right. So, but 8 o'clock, so let's say I got home at 8.15. Let's say I met people, you know, after work for a little bit. I got home at 8.15. I missed those 15 minutes. They were gone forever. There mm-hmm. was no VHSing, DVRing, you know, any of this right. stuff. It was gone forever. So, and the, you know, that would be Bruce Jenner, obviously, now mm-hmm. Caitlyn Jenner. That would be... Uh, you know, there's so many things going on with those Montreal Olympics, Nadia Comaneci, et cetera. Right. And so, yes, it was just riveting to me. And then to think that it just literally eight years later, I'm at the opening yeah, ceremony right, of the Olympics. Right, right. And I, I've never, so I'm now gearing up for my 18th Olympics in a row. 18th Olympics. In a, in a row. Haven't missed one since LA in 84. Wow. Winter and summer. And it is still, I'm still that kid who just cannot believe I'm going to one Olympics. Olympics. And, I, and I really, I, I know that probably sounds a little Pollyannish, but I, it is the way I, I, I live. I just am appreciative of every second and every moment I have doing this. I mean, what, as a, as a kid growing up, I would have hoped <laughs> to go to one Olympics as a fan. Right. 18, 18 all expenses Olympics. paid, credential around right, my neck. we're going to get into the specifics of the Olympics <laughs> in the next section. But So you then started, you worked for, you worked for, you moved from the post to... You left right you, when I did it, right? Right. I let, left in 96. I had about a year or so of just working on books, and then mm-hmm. USA Today came to me and asked me would I be their national sports columnist, and I said yes. Yeah. So the books you've written, let's just go through them really quickly. Mm-hmm. You've written yeah, several. Well, yes, I have. A couple of early ones that are not worth mentioning, but the big ones. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> okay. The Miracle of Miami, about the Miami Hurricanes winning mm-hmm. the 83. you got to put about seven or eight of them together to see see it on this yeah. bookshelf. Uh, but nonetheless, I did it in a week, a quick, uh, quick book on the season, the Miami Hurricanes. And then Tracy Austin's autobiography I wrote with, she mm-hmm. wrote with me, mm-hmm. which was an entree. And if there are any authors out there or young people want to be authors, to get your foot in the door, for me, that was it. I, I said, God, I want to write books. And here's this this book that, I mean, I like Tracy very much, and mm-hmm. it was fun to tennis work on it. Tennis player. Yes, just, yeah. exactly. Two-time U.S. Open champion, mm-hmm. uh, one of the very young tennis players. A lot and, of yeah. Um, her hair pulled back. That's all I remember. <laughs> well, and, and, and great play. Swingy hair. Right. <laughs> well, she was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. she was. And one, two, uh, had back problems. Problems and now as a commentator and, and yeah. uh, doing great, you know she's fantastic. So, but doing that, then entree into the world of um, 
Tennis. publishing, right. and 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 then uh, Lisa Drew, one of the great book editors, had was the editor of that book. She goes to Scribner. And so now you move ahead a few years, and Tanya Nancy happens. Mm-hmm. We can certainly talk more about it in a few. Yeah, wish. the movies. The movies coming out. Yeah, and uh, I'm covering every minute of that from the attack in January, January 6, 1994, right. all the way. For through. those uh, listeners who don't know, Tanya Harding was implicated in the attack on Nancy Kerrigan's right. knee. Yes, um, uh, world's were, most famous bruised skating. knee. Yes, mm-hmm. and they were skating rivals. Yes, they were, and it was a revelation to people that uh, that women who looked gorgeous could also be competitive. Which right, was maybe. Just a little sexist. A little too competitive. Well, yes. Although I will be the only serious journalist to ever say that Tanya Harding changed my life. Yeah. But, but she did. So thank you, Tanya, <laughs> wherever you are, you idiot. Uh, you know, she, no, she just, uh, she just made mistakes. This movie looks fantastic with Margaret Robbie yes. I, Tanya. I, Tanya. It was coming out, right? I, in fact, I certainly will be writing about it. And when I said Tanya's an idiot, I mean, she just did the dumbest things, forgot her skate guards, got jet lagged, uh, chain smoking, asthmatic. Yeah. You know, you can't make up these adjectives. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but also great great talent who thought she was right. getting screwed when in fact she made it to two Olympic teams right. and then right. basically sabotaged herself. But covering that, then TV ratings went through the roof, forty eight point five ratings, mm-hmm. sixth highest rated show, Kara, in television mm-hmm. history. Yeah. And there'd never been a book, a journalistic look at figure skating. So Lisa Drew gets in touch with me. So that Tracy Austin book leads to that relationship, and then. Uh, she said, well, we're salivating with, for the idea of a, of, a, of a figure skating book. So I took a leave of absence from the Post, wrote mm-hmm. that book. It's called Inside Edge. Mm-hmm. became a bestseller. And I knew it could take off because women buy books. You know, you figure if, yeah, the, great story. The, the height of popularity for the sport. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about Peggy Fleming and, you know, everyone in there, Debbie Thomas, et cetera. And, and actually the HIV AIDS issue because mm-hmm. no one had addressed the tragic loss of life among the men, skaters, choreographers, coaches, um, and in the 90s, you know, mm-hmm. before people really focusing on this, and um, as they should have, obviously. So that book took off, became a bestseller. I leave the post, get another book deal, and follow the skaters through Nagano in 98. So mm-hmm. I became known as this figure skating person when, of course, I, I played every sport. I was a six-sport athlete in high school. I you never did not skate. No, right. no, I'm, you know, I'm basketball, volleyball, softball, mm-hmm. track and field, field hockey, et cetera. So, I mean, I skated just, you know, tooling around, but no, no skating at all. But it was just so rich, so textured. Mm-hmm. You've got judges. I started interviewing judges. Really, let's find out about these people, mm-hmm. all the, mm-hmm. the East, West. I mean, you had right. everything. Right. Skating's got it all. So, so skating. Yeah, so that was skating. And then uh, then I did a, my, a father-daughter memoir called Best Seat in the House about my dad. He, um, uh, My mom passed away in 02, my dad in 03. But thankfully, I wrote uh, the proposal before he died. So he yeah. got a chance to see uh, 10,000 words of it. And I said, Dad, there'll That's... be 90,000 more just like it. Oh, wow. And that was with Lisa oh, Drew man, as well. So, cry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so it was uh, really a labor of love. But one of the hardest. The hardest thing I've ever done, but the best thing I've ever done. And that book, uh, I'm still signing it and still do. I do a lot of speaking now around the country. Yeah. And I do a lot of, I sign those books a lot for moms and dads or, or dads and daughters, which all right. is really fun. This is, fan- this is fascinating. I didn't know all this, Christine. Um, <laughs> so we're here with Christine Brennan. She's a sports columnist for USA Today, also a TV and radio commentator, author of best selling books, and a groundbreaking sports journalist. We're talking about uh, all, all things sports uh, as part of a collaboration we're doing with NBC around the Olympics. When we get back, we're going to talk about uh, some of the issues in sports that Christine has covered because there's so many, as you said. Uh, when we get back from our break. If you're enjoying this interview, then you should check out one of our other podcasts, Too Embarrassed Ass, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. I'm in line at the airport. Yes, as usual, because you do not Waiting have in line. the pre-screening things that I do. Wearing mismatched socks. I have to take <laughs> my darn shoes off. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, 
obviously, what did we talk about this week? Wait, why do I have to take my laptops out? Anyway, we're talking about traveling with Karen Seidman-Becker. She is the CEO of Clear. Karen is actually here with me right now. She's trying to convince me that I should be using Clear. Karen, what did we talk about on this week's podcast? We talked about biometrics, how they're going mainstream, how they speed you through the airport, sports stadiums, and so much more in the future. Fingerprints, iris image, face, and much, much more. Gate? Gate? Gate with an I. With an I. DNA, biometrics. Voice. Is the future people knowing your gait and identifying that by how you walk? And how you can streamline lots of different things using technology. Secure, frictionless experience. You know, people spend on average two years of their life waiting, waiting in lines. Wow. Lauren, you are wasting two years of your life. You're going to be so bummed one day. But think of all the tweeting I'll get to do. <laughs> Snapchat, Instagram, story. everyone follow my story from the airport. I'm waiting in line. Two years. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. It was a great discussion. We hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here in the red chair with Christine Brennan as part of a special sports episode of Rico Deco. For those who know me, I'm just not knowledgeable about sports. But one of the things uh, Christine and I were just talking about, and Christine's a best-selling author. She's a famous sports journalist. She worked for The Washington Post. She's now at USA Today. Um, is all the topics that have and, – and, and going into this Olympics, there's so many topics. I mean, you start with football, CTE. You go into sexual harassment right now around the gymnast, which is just a burgeoning story. You have doping. You have – like every single, you have Title Nine. So let's mm-hmm. start to talk about these as we move into the Olympics, because you can't talk about. And now the kneeling. I mean, right. th- is there anything that sports doesn't <laughs> affect in, in, in an enormously controversial way? Uh, well, it has become this kind of inter- or international, certainly national conversation, Kara, with at the crossroads. You know, mm-hmm. where sports and culture, or uh, even sports and politics. You know, mm-hmm. when when Donald Trump is tweeting. As he Still. has. Well, now he's moved on to the NBA, he, but go ahead. Right, he has. And, and LeVar morning. Ball. Right. Yeah. And so, right. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. And um, I, it's not good for the country, clearly, to have the president focused on a, um, a sports father. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we are. Here we and, are. Uh, you know. Well, let's go through the topics. Let's sure. start with that one, the kneeling. Where, where are we on that from your perspective? You know, that story had basically died. Mm-hmm. It was a little glowing ember about to mm-hmm. go out in late September. Uh, most people had forgotten about Colin Kaepernick. He wasn't speaking out. And, of course, Kaepernick's the one who started this a full year ago, mm-hmm. August of 2016. Kneeling for the National Anthem. Yeah, he started to sit, and then a Green Beret, he had a conversation with a Green Beret, and the Green Beret said, well, if you're going to have a protest, and by the way, this is social injustice, police mm-hmm. brutality, those kinds of issues, the way police are, and African-American young males are are uh, dealing with each other, those mm-hmm. issues that I, everyone, I think, knows about. So that was Kaepernick's point. It wasn't about the flag. It right wasn't about protest. troops. It was about that. So when the, he talked to the Green Beret, they, he said, well, if you're going to do that, don't sit, kneel. Mm-hmm. Much more respectful to kneel and do that. So that's why Colin Kaepernick knelt. Which they don't call it take the knee for some reason. It's right. kneeling. Yeah. It's kneeling, right. And, and so when people are out there, and there are many of them who are furious at him, well, consider that it was a Green Beret who told them that. Meanwhile, just as a little aside, Colin Kaepernick also decides, he says, I'm going to give a million dollars to these causes. Mm-hmm. Because so many people are wondering, well, okay, other than doing taking a knee, what the heck are you doing? Well, he gave a million dollars over right. the course of a year to all these causes. So uh, especially to help young men in, in inner cities and urban, urban environment, et cetera. So uh, the guys kind of walk the walk. Anyway, so uh, that story 
played out in 2016, played out a little in 2017 because Kaepernick then was left the 49ers and was not signed by another team. And that's mm-hmm. pretty amazing when you think of 32 right. teams that, yes, you can understand that some of them might not want a guy who took a team to a Super Bowl a few years ago for San Francisco. But all of these teams, you know, so that throw that in the mix. But the story had died. It was waning and dead. I had written one column about it over four or five months. Mm-hmm. And then Trump goes down to Alabama for that political speech for Luther Strange and the whole thing that now yeah. worlds collide with Roy Moore. And um, and then uses says that terrible thing, you know, the SOBs. I'd fire those SOBs. Right. Uh, and just gins up the whole thing for racial purposes to divide the nation, uh, as only Donald Trump apparently can. And, wow, it explodes. And then the sports owners now are involved. And well, now exactly. They're, now well, they're going to have to get on his side, right? They seem to be well, shifting. Well, it was interesting, though. Initially, you, they you, were— Right. The owners were, you know, obviously they don't—there was the perception then quickly as as many, hundreds and hundreds of athletes protested against Trump that week, which was so predictable. You can, mm-hmm. you knew they were going to do that. There was then the sense that is this costing—is our TV ratings down? And Trump tweeted—that was the third week of the season, Kara, and Trump tweeted, oh, TV ratings are down. Well, shocking, a Donald Trump tweet was, tweet was wrong. TV ratings actually went up for that third week. Mm-hmm. So he had it wrong. Nonetheless, the perception was there, and yes, ratings are down. Yeah. As you know, ratings are down for everything. Right. Nothing. It used to be three channels, and everyone watched Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. This doesn't happen anymore. Right. So this is not news. But— Nonetheless, Trump is taking this to, again, divide the nation. So, yes, owners, understandably, some of them were very concerned about this. But a fascinating turn of events. Roger Goodell, who people want to hang by his fingernails for a million things, I think handled this beautifully. He threaded the needle. He wanted to make sure he understood his players, 75 percent African-American. He has always done that. He has never said they should stand. He said we. He's never said they must stand. He said they should stand. Mm-hmm. So when Trump was out there with this background noise, oh, they're changing. No, they did not. Roger Goodell and the owners and the players basically united for a, a few weeks against Trump, mm-hmm. and that was fascinating to see. And now, and now the story this locker room. It, well, it, it's certainly there's there's always going to be something going on with the NFL, mm-hmm. but it is it is our big it's our past national pastime way past baseball on that. And um, but I do think one of the things the players players are doing is, is they've really wanted to start to focus on the community and doing some good work. Right. And they've had meetings. And and I think that the end result, Donald Trump wanting to make it stop and wanting to divide people, actually probably threw these players and their and the owners and the, the management of the NFL into much more of a, of, a, of a call for action to do things within the community. There might actually be a good good result mm-hmm. uh, to something, obviously, that Trump started that was so so horrendous. Yeah. And so right now, they're decide, we're still arguing over whether they should be in the locker room, correct? That, that yes. was the last one. Right. So I, actually, and I wrote a column a month or so ago that maybe they should. <laughs> in the past, the, t- the players would just stay in the locker room and uh, while the national anthem goes on. Other sports, that happens too. Right. And think about the national anthem. This notion that we're all standing at attention during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Next time you're at a game, anyone who's listening to us, anyone, next time people are running in from the parking lot. Right. People are in the bathroom. Yeah. People are in line for nachos. Right. Are you kidding me? They're talking to their friend. This right. idea that this is the sacred yeah. moment, well, it's its ridiculous. Live in our fantasies. We, we do, and Trump has, has fueled and stoked those yeah. for his own purpose. So getting to staying with the NFL, I'm going to go from topic to topic, CTE. Yeah, or, huge issue. Because technology plays a role in this. They could do helmets that are different. They could eventually, I think robots will probably play each other. Christina, yes. you'll be covering robot <laughs> players. That I would. Let's hope I see that day, yes, uh, of robots. Yeah, I, you know— 
I, I, there's a great question whether the NFL will exist, whether we'll have football in, say, 50 years. Mm-hmm. I've asked Roger Goodell that question. He said, of course, of course. Mm-hmm. We had him at Northwestern for an event. And uh, I asked, so of course, we asked tough questions of him all the time. He said, yeah, they'll, it'll, you'll still have the NFL back. What does then. it look like? Does it, well, you, I, I, I don't this? I'm not, it's, just, there's, it's just overwhelming evidence that this is a da- incredibly it, damaging. It, it, literally every brain but one of the ones right. that have been tested of the, of right. the men who've died and then de- donated How do you feel about that as a huge fan? It's, like, it's hard to cover it. And in fact, and I love it too, yeah, right? Yeah. And in fact, I really don't cover it's my, I, I love the issues. I love talking about the issues with you and doing mm-hmm. all stuff on TV, whatever. I, I don't cover games the way I used to. It, it's hard to watch. And when you, if you've ever been on the sideline, which like it, it, I it, have been end of the games, they'll bring mm-hmm. us down, you know, on the way to the locker room. The speed, the force with which they hit, the size, the sounds are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. TV doesn't do it justice. And it is, it, you, you cringe every time. Uh, I think football, because first of all, football's not going away. Anyone who's saying, oh, I don't want to lose my football, you're not going to lose your football. It, it's still around. College football, people love it, obviously. Uh, different game. Uh, most of those guys are not going to go pro, mm-hmm. you know, vast majority. Uh, still injuries, still issues for sure. But uh, NCT, without a doubt. But um, you've got everyone in the pipeline. So football's not going away 10 or 15 years from now because you've right. got little kids in the pipeline. Um, but More kids are playing soccer and other sports. For sure. And I, I think what's going to happen is where we have seen the suburban kids like Tom Brady mm-hmm. or John Elway or some of those great names, Peyton Manning. We've seen their families endorse the game and want their boys to play it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see that anymore. You're already right. seeing that suburban areas talking about they had to shrink. Their I won't team. let my kids play football. Absolutely. Well, and and hundred percent. Without they wanted to. I have a big kid. He wanted to play, and I said, "I'm sorry." And so, what did you find instead? What's lacrosse? Which I'm still <laughs> it's different, but, but different. Yeah, I'm still, still worried. Sure. Yeah, still sure. worried, but not. Uh, he's not going to go on and be a famous NFL, whatever mm-hmm. lacrosse player. Like it's. It was definitely that was even hard. Mm-hmm. And I know it sounds like a protective mother, but I'm like, I'd like your brain to be intact. Well, I, I, I think it makes sense. And right. I think uh, maybe golf and tennis will re- have a resurgence. Maybe yeah. even baseball. Because right. you can certainly get plunked by a baseball. So dull. But <laughs> it is so dull. Die. And that's <laughs> the problem for kids. He was soccer. a very good baseball player, yeah. but I couldn't sit there. We, he used to play at Treasure Island, and I was be freezing and long. That's all I remember, and, sitting. And then the kid's like and out in the outfield, hit. and there's nothing coming out <laughs> his way, and they're sitting down. And like, He was yeah. a good hitter. But anyway, and, it's interesting how we look at that. So see, do you imagine there's any technology? Solutions. I'm not joking about yeah. robots. You know, like, well, I'm not sure. There that, was a movie with Hugh Jackman where that was the case. The robots right? are playing or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would see more. I mean, I think anything's possible moving forward right. over you know 40, 50 years. But right. I, I, the absolute the, these these helmets that could actually right. register the hits. There's so much right. more they could do. And frankly, it's a, kind of appalling that they haven't right. done they more. Could, well, they don't want to. They don't want you to see the actual numbers. That's my feeling. Well, there's that, and also you know we it changes have a, the state of play. It too. does, and if you. Um, but yes, I would think that anything you could use technologically to help these guys, because this is a horrifying story, and it is turned. Frankly, I think this issue is turning people off more than the flag thing. Absolutely, hundred percent. And I think we're going to see football look like boxing, much more either urban, oh, that's a really good point. urban poor or disadvantaged. Rural poor, right? So it won't all. I mean, you'll still have some presumably yeah. white kids, right. but I think it's going to be the way out for those kids, just the way boxing is. And mm-hmm. I think, again, you're going to lose all of those more middle-class suburban white kids and also African-American kids whose mom and dad say, uh-uh, yeah. you know, you're going to play another sport. Soccer or whatever, mm-hmm. tennis or golf or something like that. So uh, talk a little bit about um, some of the, from the Olympic issues, doping. Where are we with that? What, going into these Olympics, what's the, where are, where's the state of play around that? Yeah, well, Russia is still the big cheese on this one. And mm-hmm. 
Um, and so good at it. Oh, they they really should win the when they're not when they're not invading the our social networks and changing elections. They are excellent at doping. They they are won the Their gold medal. Their sneaky factor doping, is right? high. I mean, the the New York Times did great reporting on this, and and I'm sure a lot of your your listeners know this, but this was this cloak and dagger system to actually change urine, but with a hole in the wall to bring the urine bottle in, the urine uh, you know specimen in that then would be clean, mm-hmm. so that a, a cheating athlete could get away. With, and get a clean drug test right. and then keep their medal. Mm-hmm. And that's so there are people out there to this day uh, from not just the US, but I mean, all kinds of countries, Japan, wherever. I, I, I don't know that, but we just know the, for a fact that these, they exist who came in fourth or fifth, who they should deserve. have been second or third. Right. And they didn't get the medals. And if they give them, occasionally they do return yeah. medals and they take away a gold or something and then they give it to the right person. They give it to them. It doesn't matter. Well, it comes them. in a FedEx box in their, in their home and they open it up in their, in their foyer. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, wow, I'm a bronze medalist. <laughs> you know, what they missed. What how, they missed, yeah. how, they, how dare Russia for doing this? Yeah. But this is now— Well, where are we right now going into these Olympics? So mm-hmm. as we speak, there's going to be IOC, International Olympic Committee meetings, in another week or two. Mm-hmm. And they are going to make that decision, uh, they say, on whether they will allow Russia to compete in the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympic Games in February. Mm -hmm. This is exactly for those who are saying, wait a minute, haven't I heard this before? Yes, you have. The exact same thing that happened going into the Rio Olympics, uh, the Summer Games. And they were allowed, right? They were allowed. What what the IOC did, instead of making a decision, its president, Thomas Bach, could have done a major, major statement for clean sport. Mm -hmm. First, he's he's new as the president from Germany. Thomas Bach instead punted and basically said, I'll just send it back to the, the federations for these individual sports. You guys make the decision. Horrific mistake, in my humble opinion. What happened then was international track and field said no Russians, Mm -hmm. except for one or two that were able to prove their innocence. The entire delegation, Russian delegation, was not in track and field. Mm -hmm. Great, great thing. But all in all, Kara, just about one-third of the entire delegation of Russia was not in Rio. Two-thirds did make it. Right. And you saw all kinds of controversy, especially swimming, where you have now right. athletes who've cheated, now are there. And this one young woman, Fimova, uh, she's wagging her finger, and then the American Lily King wags back, and King makes a statement, and everyone's back about, oh, poor sports. Well, none of this would have happened if the International Olympic Committee, if the adults in the so room are they had actually do done something. Are they going to They do should. Something? I don't think they will. Why? I think they're going to— What's preventing them? Uh, uh, sponsors who would like to see the U.S., if it is a U.S. company, um, have a rival, have an you know, enemy. Even if they're doped up? Even if they're doped up. Yeah. Wow. Also, Putin. I mean, right. uh, oh, keep in mind. Yeah, I know. Putin basically is the refrain, is the answer for almost anything right now. Right. Putin, in 2014, he well, before then, but he promised to give the Olymp- Winter Olympics, you know, and put them on. He spent $51 billion, the most money that has ever been spent to put on an Olympics, mm-hmm. to create an entire this city. This is in um, Sochi, Sochi, 2014. Right. It was actually a right. town called Adler. Mm-hmm. Roads, hotels, venues, right. everything. There was nothing, and he built everything. $51 billion. Mm-hmm. This is an extraordinary expense. So he doesn't mind. So, but basically, you could say that the International Olympic Committee remembers that. And are they going to toss that man out? Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say it's a bribe, but it's basically the quid pro quo that, okay, you did this for us. And so Putin is going to remind every single one of them, look what I gave you in 2014. How dare you kick out my country in 2018? Right. He's already talked about that. He's got an election coming in a few months. He said, so where, You're is, out to the, get- where is the backbone of these? Just not at all? Uh, just, it's yes. just a show. This and is, everybody knows it's a cheating yeah. show. I think that's, I've probably written 50 to 50, yeah. <laughs> five Be columns on that. Yeah. On, on where I is the, the backbone? I feel the same way around Uber today. They did something else. Right. I, exactly. In some ways, though, they give us they give right. us their topics, but we get right. sick of these after a while. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and I know there's people out there saying, well, wait a minute, don't Americans cheat too? Right. And I want to make this point because I think it's yeah. essential for the next cocktail party conversation for you or anyone else about what the difference is. The country that gave the world Lance Armstrong and Marion Jones, among others, is, of course, the good old U.S. of A. Mm-hmm. So those who are angry at the Americans, they're, they're out there. How dare you tell Russia yeah, what to Russia's do thing. when you gave us Lance, you know, Armstrong. Lance Armstrong? Here's the difference. When Lance Armstrong and Marion Jones and all those other scoundrels were caught, I like the word cheated. scoundrel. Yeah, that is a great word that needs to come back more, <laughs> right? It's an old word. It's like our parents' scoundrel. word. Scoundrel. Yes. So when they all uh, were cheating mm-hmm. and doing what they did and got caught, they were doing it in defiance of their National Olympic Committee, the U.S. Olympic Committee and U.S. Anti-Doping. They were in defiance of that. When all these Russians were cheating, they were doing it in compliance. And cooperation. Cooperation with their national federation. What the Russians did would be the equivalent, if we had in the United States during Barack Obama's time, it would be the equivalent of probably Barack Obama knowing, but certainly the FBI director knowing, the CIA knowing, the U.S. Olympic Committee all in cahoots with the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, probably members of Congress, all of them state-sponsored doping. That's how yeah. bad Russia did. Yep. And the only way you stop this is you kick them out. You take them away from the one thing they want. If you don't do it, we're going to be talking about it in 2020 going Will into Tokyo. Will they ever reform? No. Unless they get kicked out. What's the second worst country at this? All the, all the Russian Well, all the former China. Soviet republics. Uh, there's certainly um, China. They say they've cleaned up their act, but they China did the same Why thing. Why isn't the U.S. more firm on this? Just because of Lance oh, Armstrong? Oh, no. We, no, we the are. U.S. is. Absolutely. Because yeah. they did throw the book at Lance Armstrong. They mm-hmm. did kick him out. They took his medals. Right. Oh, yeah. The drug police just got rid of Lance Armstrong. I, no, the U.S., and, and it's not just the U.S. It's Germany. Germany. It's England. It's Australia. Right. It's Japan. It's about 20 of these national anti-doping agencies. And they came out. And in and, and the Paralympics, they've already kicked Russia out of Rio, and they'll, they're now going to kick Russia, the Paralympians, out of— um, So what is country. your guess right now before this, this I think, may air after that? But what, what is your guess? Well, right? I would love it if they kick them all out. I cannot see it. I think they're going to do the piecemeal approach that they did with Rio. Again, they'll throw it back to the, the sports. And again, that means that athletes who should— So the swimmers be, and the weightlifters get right. to do it, and the and, runners and, might And so not. now for Winter Olympics, it's figure skating. Oh, yeah, figure and, skating, yeah. And luge and bobsled. Oh, sorry, I'm the wrong and, Olympics, yeah. That's, okay. yeah. that's, well, that's okay. why you have me here. Yeah, I'll, okay, I'll, I'll straighten you out on so which luge. Olympics. Yeah, and— uh, Oh, and the— uh, yeah. Which one of the Olympic sports for this winter does it matter the most? The well, certainly endurance sports. So you right. could have all kinds of blood doping going on, say, in cross-country skiing, cross-country especially skiing. those long races. Um, and we've seen that over the years, certainly. And not just the Russians. Others have done that, too. Um, you can see some amphetamines and some kind of other nonsense and shenanigans going on in gymnastics and figure skating. Right. You, you know, those kinds of things. You wouldn't, you know, bulk up, you know, with uh, yeah. with muscle mass. But it's but mostly you, the endurance sports. It, right. It would be that. It would be— um, What else? Um, you, you could see it with some of the the, the pushing, the yeah, yeah. Because again, the bigger muscles to jump into the into that. Um, Not quite as big as running and no, and oh no. Swimming, and the right? Winter Olympics are much smaller. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, it's a lot of guys named Sven who are you know snowboarding, yeah. and so you just have a, a different crowd. Right. The world goes to the summer games. The right. world does not go to the winter games. But not in figure skating, I guess. Okay, last yeah. topic, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about what people should be watching for in the Olympics. Um, First, let's get to um, the issues around sexual harassment because it's in gymnastics, figure skating, um, 
and, and, and Title IX. They're linked together and not linked mm-hmm. together, but it's the same topic of how women are treated in, in the sports arena. Oh, absolutely. Which and we fact, started talking about. Right. And actually at the college level, um, you saw the Obama administration give mm-hmm. strong guidance to universities to mm-hmm. use Title IX, not the sports part of Title IX, right. but the part about equal treatment for uh, for both genders in, right. in federally funded um, universities, high schools. Um and that's one of the ways that they've been working on the, that the, obviously the sexual assault component. Mm-hmm. And this is not just women too, because oh, around the, the about um, in Pennsylvania, everything it just goes. Oh yeah, everywhere. Jerry, Jerry Sandusky and the right. Penn State story. Right. Oh, and in fact, um, certainly there have been figure skating coaches over the years. You would not have known their names. Uh, I can think of one man in particular who was in jail, may still be in jail mm-hmm. um, because of, of uh, molesting boys. And the yes. most recently, it was in the gymnastics area. Well, the gymnastics the one is the one that, that is just done. yeah, Larry. Nasser, who has uh, just pleaded guilty and will go to jail, as the judge said, she said to him, uh, you know, for the rest of your life, he's mm-hmm. 54 years old, so that's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of time in jail. And uh, this is that horrifying story where now three of the five members of that very famous 2012 London Olympic gold medal winning Fierce Five, mm-hmm. uh, including Gabby Douglas now, have come out, and, and Ellie Raceman um, and uh, Michaela Maroney, and talking about how he uh, sexually assaulted and abused them mm-hmm. in at least one case during the London Olympics. Right. And it's, it's horrifying. USA Gymnastics has already gotten rid of its CEO. They've hired a woman who's just going to get started now. Um, but it's over well, the, the USA Today Network, uh, Lansing paper, hun- over 140 gymnasts saying that Larry Nasser, this doctor, had abused them. Amazing. And overall, it's well over 350 uh, that the Indianapolis Star The Harvey Star Weinstein of gymnastics. Exactly. Right. These are except little girls. Except children. Except children. And, of course, when people say, well, why wouldn't they have spoken out? Like, you know, the London Olympics. Ugh. Well, why wouldn't they have spoken out? Because they're 14, 15 years old. This is the dream of their lives. It's not only them. It's their parents. The parents have mortgaged the house again. They're spending this kind of money. And what kid has the power to speak out? And if you speak out, you're afraid that they'll just take you and put— you know, fill in another girl and the you know, young woman in that mm-hmm. in your place. It's just horrifying, and um, we've seen it with swimming. Uh, USA Swimming has right. did not do a great job with with male coaches with young women. Uh, you know, teenage girls. Same co- thing. Same exact thing. They have now something safe sport. Uh, a whole initiative that the U.S. Olympic Committee has started, an independent group, kind of like the anti doping agency now for safe sport. Just getting going, but uh, this is a huge black mark. Uh, and just a horror show, Kara, um, in terms of and what's been the going Olympics. On. This is, is the Olympics. Yeah. So you're cheering for those American athletes. And when you think of what they, some of them have gone through, not, I mean, we're not. So what can, what can, what can happen? What will happen next? In this well, year? certainly there has to be some kind of a clearinghouse or some kind of a anonymous tip line where you can, where these young athletes can feel they can get heard mm-hmm. because that's clearly the problem. Explain for people how they get in that situation because they're in a very, it's, I was assuming first a pressure cooker environment, a very insular environment. How does that occur where it? where they find themselves in the most vulnerable positions. So, so you have a daughter. So describe what it's like. Sure, you have a daughter who's good. And mm-hmm. so you, she starts doing the tumbling. How many zillions of people have done this? Take mm-hmm. the kids and they tumble and they somersault and whatever. Or skate. Or yes, whatever. exactly. And then they get better and they get better and better. Well, pretty soon you realize this kid is really good. Right. And everyone's telling you you've got to either go to a uh, – maybe you're lucky in your town, in your city, there's a, a great um, coach. coach and a great uh, you know gym or, or skating rink, whatever. Um, if not, you got to move. And that's when figure skating, so many of them move, mm-hmm. split the family. You know, one parent stays home. The other one goes with the kid. Often that can lead to divorce. I mean, it, it, this alone is – and I've written, as mm-hmm. I said, a couple books, and, and there's certainly those stories are in there. And now you are – with this coach, 
And now throw it back to gymnastics, the team aspects. So the Carolis, Belly Caroli, the great mm-hmm. star that gave us Nadia Comaneci, Mary Lou Retton, et cetera, the great star coach. He and his wife, also a great coach, Marta, who then became in charge of the team. They have their ranch, and all the good, the top elite gymnasts get to go down there. Mm-hmm. And now you have the team doctor down there, and they have back pain. And so now he's he's working on them. And, of mm-hmm. course, this absolutely horrifying, repulsive, disgusting, illegal criminal activity that he did was all in the name of working on them mm-hmm. and, uh, and doing the things that he did to them them. So again, now you're away from home. You're down there at this camp. This is going to be the it's Olympics of the world championship. Oh, oh, the, oh, the pressure. It's, it's, oh, it's extraordinary. And you're 14, 15, 16 years old. Right. And it feels normal, right? Right. And this like, is your dream. You, and you can't, but how could you even tell one of your colleagues who are your teammates, even if you've got a roommate that... So it know, isolates everybody in the same... Oh, right. Because how do you say... Because again, you speak out... You're going to be removed from that team, and there goes your dream, and there goes mm-hmm. everything your parents have been spending money on. The pressure is enormous on these kids. Frankly, it's amazing that these young women held it together enough to compete. Uh, what tr- remarkable young athletes they And the trauma they are. they're facing. And it's not just their, their, what they're actually doing is hard enough. Is it hard enough? <laughs> yeah, pro- we, 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 we thought it, they were under pressure. Yeah. So what can be done about this? Because they do create these sort of high-pressure environments, and so you don't want to—just the same thing with the Harvey Weinstein. They just yeah. don't want to lose their jobs. They don't want to lose— they, pe- pe- People make all kinds of sacrifices for things. Exactly, and except with Weinstein and Charlie Rose and all the others, mm-hmm. at least I, we're probably talking about people at least five, six, seven, eight years older. Right. 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 Uh, in a workplace, which and is still, still suffering. Hor- it's awful, of course, uh, just awful. Mm-hmm. And and what what a wonderful time though that these things are coming out. And right. That people are listening. So and what hearing. can be done? So the, again, going this, into these this, Olympics, is, it colors that. It, this is this oh, sure. is one of the big topics, obviously. Oh, with, without a doubt. And you've got, for example, in figure skating, you've also got the issue of Gracie Gold, mm-hmm. the American top American four years ago. Mm-hmm. Two-time national champ who's now not going to be competing because she's uh, been getting rehab and help with eating disorders and other issues. Mm-hmm. You know, you throw that in the mix, just, right. just, just, quote unquote, right. just bulimia and anorexia, right. um, which has always been a huge part of some of these younger women's sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can be done? There has to be a way for them to speak out and not fear retribution from a coach or, uh, mm-hmm. from, or even a parent mm-hmm. who says, how dare you speak out because you now just blew it for all of us. Um, there has to be that clearinghouse. Again, this, this Safe Sport Initiative from the U.S. Olympic Committee is supposed to be that. Just gearing up. It's taken a long time to get going, too long. They need to do a better job. Uh, there needs to be, but, but I would also hope a lot of these young people who've spoken out, say, going back to gymnastics. You now have Allie Raceman. You have Gabby Douglas. You have Michaela Maroney. Young, so you after up. they compete. Right. right, right. But hopefully they, they can be the person so you could go to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be something good. You're asking a great question. Yeah. I think it, it's still unknown exactly do, how it's Do reporters work. do enough? Because I think about that in the Hollywood stuff, the media stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone had senses with some of these people. You know, you'd heard stories and stuff like that. And we, I think about myself, like, why didn't I act on that? Like, yeah. I had a... A rumor, but you never knew because it was so isolated. Like that—that's what—that's what it's done. Is like, do you think, given that most journalists are men, most sports journalists are men, mm-hmm. have they done enough to recognize it? Like there were two yeah. books on Uber, with not a word of sexual harassment right. in them. It was sort of like, how did you not notice? Well, and there's, I think every one of these gymnasts has their own autobiography, if not, you know, right. the, the kids' book, you, you know, right. youth books that uh, tell right. these stories. 
Um, one is, I think we've learned from whether it's Tiger Woods or Jerry Sandusky, mm-hmm. again, very different stories, very, yeah, very different. Yeah, but also but crack you, you, you have essential. no idea what their lives are like. Right. You know, I think we get, I, I've covered Tiger Woods for years and that whole you just didn't fiasco, know. oh, there's no way you can know mm-hmm. what he's doing, uh, you know, 24-7. So I think it, I, I'm not, believe me, if I had heard any of this, I would have reported, I would have of stopped course. what I was doing and reported it. And in fact, in figure skating, there were stories of predatory coaches and I worked on that for one of my books and I actually did write about mm-hmm. one of these male coaches who mm-hmm. was pre- uh, was a predator and and was uh, doing terrible things to young boys. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, not only in, in USA Today, but New York mm-hmm. Times. So I think we try, but I think the idea of getting inside of these sports, we're, we're in kind of, but we're yeah. really not. And of course, it also changes the nature of sports coverage, right? I mean, here you are, you're covering social issues all the mm-hmm. time now. Yep, like it's, Literally, it's sex, drugs, you know, it's... it's, it's oh, it's steroids, it's crimes, crime. it's, it's yeah, domestic violence, Ray mm-hmm. Rice, three mm-hmm. years ago, huge, yeah. huge story. I actually... Oh, I w- domestic violence, we didn't even get into that. Right, right. And, and the punch and what mm-hmm. and all the terrible things that have mm-hmm. happened. And, and the NFL's handled it, I think, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, the Players Union has, has kind of been dragging its feet. These, I've uh, accepted this and actually embraced it. I, mm-hmm. I probably talk about these issues more. I've, I rarely cover games now. And uh, I'm glad I do. I mean, this is these are such important national conversations. And because they're sports, Garrett, we're bringing a whole different group of people to these national conversations. Right. I think that's a positive thing. All right. We're going to finish up actually talking about sports itself. Um, <laughs> so what do we should we expect from the Olympics and sports in general? Where is it going? Um, so let's talk about this Olympics. What to watch out for? Yeah. And, and you know, I think it's going to be uh, a fascinating Olympics. Obviously, there's the specter of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And his friend Rocket Man, mm-hmm. forty miles, forty right. fifty miles. Oh, from, forgot Rocket Man. Yeah. That's another issue. <laughs> How could you forget him? We could forty to fifty miles from the DMZ is where mm-hmm. Pyeongchang is. Oh, man. Um, I think we'll be fine. This feels like a bad. Yeah. movie we're heading into, it, well, doesn't it? I think we might have already You're been going, in right? Yes, I'm going, covering Good it. Good knowing looking, you, right, yeah, Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. Um, you know, I will say the positive on this is that I covered the 88 Olympics in Seoul, uh-huh. and we all thought, Kara, that, uh, that you know, the North Koreans were going to open, literally open the floodgates of their right. of their rivers and, and right. dams and flood right. the Olympics, and they never right. did. Right. I think as long as, and I'm hoping I'm correct on this, the Chinese athletes and Russian athletes, we'll see about Russia, are there there's a possibility that some North Korean athletes were there, mm-hmm. will be there. Let's hope. Um, frankly, they could have, they, they've had uh, conventional weapons pointed at each other for 70 years, right. uh, North and South Korea. So the, this this new infusion of the conversation about nuclear uh, weapons is terrible and terrifying and very worthy of course. Are you preparing no. anything differently or all no, the. No, no, no. I think uh, I'm just prepared to cover the news. Just and, bringing your radiation suit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, if, if Trump's tweeting, and of course right. if he's tweeting in the morning, that's nighttime in, in, in South Korea. Um, certainly prepared for this. One would hope that when the U.S. Olympic team, mm-hmm. among other, all the other Olympic teams, is over there, uh, that the President of the United States would have uh, the um, personal restraint. Oh, really? To, to uh, one would hope, yeah. to not be tweeting while a few hundred U.S. athletes are... Uh, uh, and lots of the whole world. Uh, oh, in Germany and, and right. England and everything. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. but, but he's the president of the U.S. So, so yeah. Rocket Man is one issue. What, yeah. what about the sports itself? What are the things to watch out for? Well, yeah, I'll be covering probably a lot of figure skating, if, mm-hmm. assuming I'm not having to Who cover the, the news all the people? time. You know, there's an American kid named Nathan Chen. People mm-hmm. should look uh, 18 years old. He has got five, six quads in his long program. It is extraordinary. Just a jumper, but great artistry. Was trained in ballet as a young mm-hmm. bo- a man from South 
Salt Lake City. Super smart kid. Uh, watch for Nathan Chen. If there's a lot of people, you know, ice is slippery. You know, it can mm-hmm. be a slippery sport. If there's a lot of falling going on. Uh, Nathan Chen could even sneak in for an Olympic gold medal. I, mm-hmm. I would predict him to be on the podium. Well, who is there. again? Who is his? Uh, you've got a couple Japanese skaters. You've got uh, Javier Fernandez from Spain, a wonderful showman. But uh, got a Canadian, Patrick Chen, who's still come back after what three Olympics. He's back again as a veteran. Mm-hmm. But these guys have had an uneven fall. Uh, all of them. One of the Japanese stars is injured, and um, and so we'll see. I mean, we'll it's see. it's um, they're they're pushing the limits in this sport as well. Right. There are more injuries and more. There's more. Da- you know, there's more uh, changing going on. Right, because people want more and more athletic. The old exactly spectacular in all, in all sports, even as an artistic sport like skating, they also give the the, the component scores for all the artistry. But you're seeing um, that there's much more uh, danger there. And uh, really, you know, the old joke that the uh, accounting firm has already sent the results in for figure skating Mm -hmm. during the days, you know, when when it was more of a coronation Mm -hmm. as opposed to a competition, that is no more. And on the women's side, there's a a Russian, um, Evgenia Medvedeva, who's actually injured as well. She was the odds-on favorite, but now she's injured. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look out for an interesting person, 26 years old, Ashley Wagner. 26. 26. That's old. Yeah, she's like 10 years older than most of these people, which by itself is fantastic, Mm -hmm. from the D.C. area, now trains in California. She's the one who spoke out against Putin and his anti-gay law. Mm-hmm. She just said, I got to speak out. No one else did. She went to Russia. She was on the U.S. team, won the team bronze medal. One of our Americans, um, really the most the most consistent American female figure skater over the last um, you know, five, six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Michelle Kwan, but certainly uh, you know has been as good as she could be. And uh, she spoke out. And then she went to Russia and spoke out against Putin on Russian soil. This yeah. woman is fearless. Also has taken on Trump. And uh, who knows what she might say about our friend Rocket Man. All right. All right. And then in other sports? Skiing? Yeah, Mikhail Schifrin uh, in skiing is coming back. She won the gold in slalom. She'll be back. Lindsay Vaughn, let's see if she can oh. make it. Talk about older and yeah. and uh, have one more last run down the mountain. She is fearless. I mean, for people who somehow still think, I hope there's no one out there that think like women athletes are not as fearless as men. Are you kidding? Yeah, you know, Lindsay Vaughn scares me. Right. right. Uh, Lindsay Vaughn, literally, my one of my favorite stories, 2006 Turin Olympics. She she crashes in a, in a training run. Yeah. They airlift her off the mountain. They've got to take her to the hospital. She checks herself out of the hospital, shows up in the day of competition, finishes in the top 10. Yeah. That is guts. Yeah. So she'll still be around. Um, got a lot of the, the snowboarders and the Sean White is still coming back, he says. And you got a ton of of, of kind of the, uh, the, the ex-names, right. yeah, right. the ex-games kind of people yeah. um, that I don't really cover those. Not because I don't care, but to me, I'm a traditionalist. So give yeah. me the opening ceremonies, closing ceremonies, figure skating, uh, speed skating. The Americans hopefully will be better. Um, maybe they can bring back Bonnie Blair because uh, it's there's a whole new list of names and stuff, but they're clearly um, people that uh, the U.S. speed skating has fallen down a bit. So, yeah. um, and the hockey, another one. Now, who is big in speed skating? Yeah. In which country? I'm interested yeah. in other countries. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, well, Netherlands is always good. Uh, Korea, South Korea is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had China do well um, over the years um, in, in in those sports and speed skating. Uh, hockey is going to be interesting. So men's yeah. hockey, the NHL players will no longer be competing for the U.S. Mm-hmm. So we might have a almost like a miracle on ice possibility again with oh, younger wow. players. Right. Women's hockey is going to be one of the great stories. You might recall a few months ago, the women had to fight for equal pay and were threatening mm-hmm. to sit out the world championships. They did get more money, but still egregious pay gap between the men and the women in USA Hockey. And I wrote several columns on this and was very critical of USA Hockey. Well, the women have come back. These are the girls next door. These are mm-hmm. the Title Nine, the yeah. all-American right. girls. You know, you you know, if your daughter's playing sports, you love this women's soccer, or this women's ice hockey team, just like the women's soccer team and mm-hmm. Brandy Chastain and all those guys, Mia Hamm from a decade, a couple decades ago. So. The they're going to face Canada, their nemesis. Every 
Olympic gold medal has been won by either Canada or the U.S. in ice hockey, going back to 98. And the Canadians, the U.S. had the Canadians four years ago. Last minute in the game, Canadians stuck in a goal. Overtime, the Canadians won, crushing to the American women, U.S. women. So there's nothing that we'll be watching more than the U.S. women against Canada, Canada, probably for the gold medal at the end of those Olympic Games. Any other odd sports, do you think? Oh, there's always ski jumping and, yeah. you know, like, uh, you're going to have a... Um, the one with the gun. Yeah. Right. Oh, yes. The biathlon. <laughs> right. Yes. Skiing and shooting. Like, we all do that. <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of fantastic. Yeah. And they all... Yeah. I, I think they're just all bond bond people, like right. spies. Well, at some well point, and right? it's a lot of Norwegians and, Not you know, Norwegian. Russians doing that. Russians, our friends, the Russians. Right. Erin uh, Hamlin is a loser. She's terrific. Luge. Oh, luge. Yeah, right. luge. Yeah. Love that. She won the bronze. It came out of nowhere. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, they go, you know, the flexible flyer, like going down yeah. the mountain, but times 100. Luge is crazy. It is crazy. And, and you watch them. I've been to a luge track, and you watch them go by with that speed, and you just realize the danger and, 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 and the precision. Because, you know, is there oh. is there navigating through this tunnel it's like, you know, when you go to the... the, the uh, Another thing robots should be doing. Well, that's, exactly. Because why even, are people even in... Even when the, you go to these water parks and you go through oh, one no, of those things, well, now picture being yeah. on a... But, ice. But, yeah, ice and a sled and, and the sharp. speed and the downhill. And, of course, they're wearing, you know, helmets and stuff because... They're wearing you, plastic. Off yeah. of, a, of a centimeter or two, one way or the other, an inch or two. Oof. And, I mean, the danger could be extraordinary. So that that's, you know, I think that's the allure, frankly, of the Winter Olympics. These are yeah. sports that most Americans, most people around the world really don't play. Right, right. Most kids play a little basketball or swim right. or something right. or run, right? right. Uh, but for the winter, yeah. unless you grow up in the north and, you know, skate a little bit or something, you know, you don't Skating know any of these really sports. the center. Sure. So and that's to be. And from skating Peggy and Fleming to Dorothy Hamill, skating. it's always skating. the TV ratings will still be high, even though skating's not, you know, not the same Yeah, people level like anymore. to watch a skater. Um, sure. And then what about the weird one with the, with the things they push forward? You know. Oh, the uh, the curling. Yeah, curling. Yes, right. Um, you know, Who's bo- going to be the winner? Bowling on ice. Who's yes. going to be the winner? On I think curling. they have beers in their hand while they're doing it. <laughs> no, they don't. But they they yeah. might as well. I, yeah. I know. I've done. Yeah. Cur- I've actually been curling right. as a recreational thing in Canada. Yeah, it's like bocce it, or something. Well, it, well, it's, yeah. it's like bowling. I yeah. mean, it really is. You know. And who's um, the odds you on know, favorite? And, you know, in I I'm not up on my curling people yet, right. but I will be. But uh, look out! You know, Canadians are always Canadian. Yeah, they always got got their act yeah. together on this. Any other sports we're ignoring of the Winter Olympics? Hmm. Well, it's, um, I'm sure they're, they're, you know, they've added a lot of sports, but... Um, what should they uh, take away? Oh, gosh. What uh, should they add? What should they well, add? Well, one of the... Th- I, I, I will say, I'm more of a purist, as I mm-hmm. said. So, I, all of these X Games, you know, yeah. ski cross things, I mean, I know th- the idea behind it, it's fascinating, actually. The idea was every grandmother and grandfather is watching the Olympics, mm-hmm. like, you know, like the old days. Right. But they don't have the young people. So the idea was, let's bring in these kind of cool yeah. X Games, you know, doing cartwheels in the air and right. all these twists and all this stuff, and let's get younger viewers. Well, frankly, that hasn't happened because while this has been going on, you also, of course, have the advent of the iPhone and and, right. and, uh, and smartphones and, and everyone finding out everything. So NBC and the coverage of these, whether it's NBC for the U.S. audience or all the different uh, rights holders around the world, really now they're going to to uh, real time. You know the idea of packaging it right. beautifully eight to eleven. Yeah, I want to end on this the technology yeah. of it. But they really and uh, all these networks have to do this because they know that when someone gets up in the morning, they're going to want to see what happened overnight in South Clips. Korea. 
and they see the clips, and now they're fine with it. You know, they got the info. So that, frankly, is the way the Olympics has to appeal, I think, much more than just adding more, you know, fun and interesting X Games kind of sports. Sure. Is to actually appeal by having the apps, by having the information so that everyone wakes up in, in, in the States. And how does Germany. that change you as a sports journalist? Because well, sport, you used to write your deadline, you used to yeah. sit up there. You know, you 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 have bridged both eras, really. Oh, for sure. And I, I love that era, but I love Let's this Let's finish era, up talking you know? about that. What is, yeah. How do you present the Olympics Well, now? it's it's not. Stop. So, right. and, and of course, I love the fact that you do have a vehicle now. So something happens mm-hmm. at three in the morning. When I was covering the Seoul Olympics in 88, perfect story to kind of give, illustrate this. Greg Luganis hits his head. I'm there watching him hit his head in the, in the uh, preliminaries of the diving. And 30 minutes later, you know, he's back up there with a mm-hmm. patch on his head. And the greatest diver ever mm-hmm. is in real danger of not even making the, uh, the finals. Well, he made it. And he won the gold medal the next day. That entire story I just described happened within one deadline cycle of the Washington Post. Right. Meaning that the story I wrote about him winning the gold medal also had to include hitting his head because I didn't even you have didn't a deadline have, yeah. between now and then. So now, you'd be oh tweeting. my God, I'd be tweeting, I'd be writing. It would be fantastic. The right. vehicle that it gives us, I would have been able to write that story and basically break the news because I'm one of three journalists watching that happen. Mm-hmm. Again, thankfully he was fine and he's 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 great now and a wonderful person and and great uh, you know social leader in so many ways. But you know I I could have broken Greg Luganis has hit his head and now and he's it, got a patch and now exactly. he's got and now yeah. he's diving and now he's made it and now he's winning the gold medal. Yeah. So I love the fact that we don't have to wait for the paper to wait, hit the because you can really do it like real time and, like you were listening to like a sports announcer totally. And I've always loved the news. What drew me to journalism was the mm-hmm. news and writing, but also just that news, what was going on. And now we can be the purveyors of that. And so frankly, even though I'm not working for NBC and Mm -hmm. working for other networks and also my main thing is USA Today, you know, we're in there and we're breaking news as well. Right. Um, the the idea that a rights holder is the only one, well, no. Right. We're all rights right. holders paid in paid billions. Right, yeah. Now yeah. anybody can take anything. Right. And they had those two guys in the jackets in the closet and the kind of thing. Last question, because we've got to get going, is sure. um, where is sports going? Where do you imagine? Because sports has been such an important part of media. It's been an important part of our national discussion, how we unite. Um, but there, it's definitely something's changed. Yeah. So where do you, if you had to like go out 50 years, what, what is mm. sports? I think it's going to be whatever people want it to be. For mm-hmm. example, women's sports were always terribly covered. We've totally missed the, the mm-hmm. women's sports story in, in mainstream sports media, male-dominated. Right. Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You're right. a girl who loves sports, a mom or dad who loves sports. You follow the Maryland women's basketball team on websites and blogs and mm-hmm. and Instagram, and you've got all the info you need, so you don't need the old media to follow it. So mm-hmm. certainly I think that's part of it. You create what you what you what you love, right. you've created your own coverage of it. That's not good for mainstream media, but mm-hmm. it, in part it's because of the failings of mainstream media. Mm-hmm. I do think women's sports will continue to grow. Part- participation is just a huge story. Every woman who runs for president and Senate and Congress will all have played sports because of Title IX. Mm-hmm. Not that I think Title IX is a big deal or anything. Uh, you do. So I want to finish up letting you say that. What? Yeah. Why is that so important, what's happening right now? Oh, my God. You know, for generations, we deprive 50, 51 percent of our nation from learning about winning and losing at a young age, teamwork mm-hmm. and sportsmanship. What the heck were we thinking? I mean, that's what's, we're not, Title IX is not about creating Olympic athletes, even though it does, which is why the U.S. dominates the medal count in the Summer Olympics because of Title IX, Team Title IX. If you don't like Title IX, um, you watch the Olympics, you cheered for the United States and Katie Ledecky and whoever else. Well, you love Title IX. Those three guys hiding under a desk in Montana somewhere mm-hmm. who still don't like it. Well, you know, come on out. What's going to happen over. with them? And uh, it just continue to go. We keep going because dads and moms, red states, blue states, it doesn't matter. People love the fact that their daughters mm-hmm. can play sports like their sons and get college scholarships and uh, be healthy 
vibrant uh, young women who will who learned how to lose at a young age and will be better colleagues, teammates, better uh, at anything they do because they played sports. Well, that was a great way to end. Christine Brennan is such a privilege to have you here. Christine Brennan is a sports columnist for USA Today. She's one of the greatest uh, sports journalists around, man or woman. Um, doesn't really matter. I know we talked a lot about women's issues, but it is really important. Oh, I, what's I love happening. that. Sure. Um, and she will be covering the Olympics in say the name of the place that is Pyeongchang, Pyeongchang, South Korea, and they start. Start uh, February 9th. All right. Yes. And, and you will head there? February 1st. Right. I'm going to miss the Super Bowl. I figure it's way too important to get there, get settled, and yeah. start covering it. Well, yeah. I look forward to your coverage, and we'll be following it on, on Recode and other places. Well, Thank thanks. you so yeah. much, Christine. My pleasure. Thank for you. For coming by. Uh, if you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You'll be the first to listen to new episodes every week. You can find more than 150 past interviews wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast, with a range of different people in politics sports, uh, everything. Tech. Oh, yeah, technology, by the way, since we do tend to cover that. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You hear no-nonsense interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. And that includes interviews with people like Elon Musk, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, all kinds of things. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And thanks also to Cadence 13 and Vox Media. They sell those ads so you can listen to this show for the low, low price of free. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. To subscribe to the official NBC and Vox Media podcasts from the Winter Olympics, just search The Podium wherever you listen to Recode Decode and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. 